so automatically, if she's going to be Surai on, on Avramavini, Surah Shalis, then, then automatically she'll be Surah for everyone. Right? Because if she's, uh, you know, connected with Avramavini and it's, it's his Surai, Surah, then the fact that he's Avramavini should give rose to that Koyach. But he explains that the, the Taich is Azoi. Avram is Mitzah Chesed. When there's Azgalas of Mitzah Chesed, when Avramavini's Midah is shining and the, way, and the way, it, you know, the way it should be, then Surah had a certain Koyach, Surah Shali. She's mine. She's Avram Avini Surah when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, this has to pun him, and things aren't the way they should be, then Suleiman didn't have her Koyach. Then she didn't have her Koyach, even though he was Avram and Goyim. But she was, her Koyach was, was based on Avram Avini's Midah that was Bezgalas. What do we do when this has to pun him? Now that she changed, and now that her name was changed, she's Surah Al Hakul, which means that she had a Koyach even through the has to pun him. Suleiman had a Koyach to help people, to help Kal Yisrael, to be, what she, to, to, to be able to express her Koyaches. And have the influence she was supposed to have, even when things aren't the way they should be. He says that's why it says Maru was Esther Limlech. You know, why would Esther have her koyach Esther Malka because she was a granddaughter of Suleimani? Esther Malka was Esther Punam when things aren't the way they should be. And Suleimani got that new koyach that even when Avram Avini's midah and the midah Sachesed is not the way, you know, things aren't the way they should be, but, but she still had a very strong koyach. And, you know, I thought that this maybe could be a nice Reimaz. We know Chachmas Nushim Mansabaisa. That's it. A woman has a moridige koyach, a moridige koyach to build her home, to build her husband, to build a family. There's so much. There's so much that depends on a on a woman like a bias. Now, sometimes there are women that when there's midas things are fine, things are happy, things are settled, things are pleasant. That's when they have a koyach, and that's when that's when they shine, and that's when they really do give a lot to their spouse and the children. But Suri Maini, the Torah is teaching us that what's what's I don't want to say it's expected of a woman, but the real koyach of a woman to be bontzabayis is when when this has to punam. Sometimes a woman, and it's not only a woman, but you know, just in this context, I'm, I'm talking about it like that. Sometimes a woman has a koyach to be able to have a shpua on her husband or on her children when things are difficult. Now that's that's already a hard thing, but that's really what it means. Chachmas nushim bantsa a home that needs to be built, a home that needs to be rebuilt, a home that needs to be you know um, taken care of when things aren't going well. That's the real koyach of a woman when when it, you know you step up to the plate and you give chizik and you show respect to a husband and you build him up when he needs it. So of course, when a husband's doing great and everyone's happy, it's very nice to be supportive, and, and it is nice. And if you're not supportive, then then you know it's a big problem. You could definitely pull someone down with a lack of support, support and, and encouragement and respect. But when things aren't going well, this is what the Torah is teaching us. It's not enough to be sura shali when things are going well, and it's avromavini bezgalas, right? When this has to pull him, that's when it's so much more important. And with that said, okay, I'm going to read some questions. Now, interestingly, as you all know by now, those are those who follow. Um, I have a list of questions that people send in, and every time I get a new question, I put it at the bottom of the list. So it can take a few months sometimes till I get to a question. Sometimes when I when I take two questions for that week, one for the Yiddish year, one for the English year, so automatically I see which which one you know one after the next. And in this case, I'm going to be reading. And sometimes when when they're connected, I can mention them both at once. In this case, I'm going to be reading three questions, and they came in order. I mean to say that there was the, the next three in the list. I'm going to be reading together, and let's try to address it and see if we could give some clarity in. A certain uh, topic over here. So, as always, I'm going to try to change some some details, the ones that are identifying, maybe, um, especially because one 
one writer asked that I specifically do not read it unless I do uh, change the details. Okay. And like I say often, it's not so much the details. The details aren't as identifying as people think, but, you know, I still want to be respectful and not uh, say something that could cause a problem. Okay, hi, thank you for your share, Mantar. Anytime they're really amazing and helpful, I gain tremendous knowledge and awareness. I got married a short while ago to a wonderful husband, Bakshan. He's really kind and devoted to me. Up until... Up until recently, he was very immersed in Torah, a true masmid. He didn't want or need anything else. He was totally there. I sometimes even wondered how he did it. He would close his phone, he wouldn't be disturbed. And it was really remarkable to say that even when there was difficult schedules and, and, and you know, different times, whenever he had free time, he sat and learned. Whether it was the weekdays or Shabbos, Yomter, morning, night, whenever he had free time, he would, he would be sitting and learning. Um... Okay, this is actually a corona-related situation, so I'm going I'm to mention just a few things. That um, At one point, I suggested that we rent a car and, and go out a little bit, and you know, I, I knew that he would want to, and we, we went on some trip. Ever since that trip, everything changed, especially because due to corona, he wasn't able to have his normal learning schedule in Koilu, and then he was feeling bored, and he was trying to occupy himself with different creativity and talents, and then it went to other things, and he wasn't learning much at all. Uh, he wanted to look for some other things to keep him busy, and he needed more more stimulation. I didn't discourage him. I told him that I understand. And he thanked me for understanding. Finally, he did find something to do, and he still was learning a few hours a day, and I was very happy. However, you know, when, when things aren't as they should be on schedule, there isn't much learning. Okay. The question is basically like this. Where did all the sipping and stimulation from learning vanish? Right? Talking about somebody who I saw he was learning so well, and all of a sudden things aren't the same. I keep on blaming myself that I'm at fault. Maybe I didn't encourage him enough. I know I'm not supposed to be his mashgiach, and I'm not supposed to mix into his ruchnias. But what happened? Do you think he knows what happened? Should I discuss it with him? He's still very erlich b'ch Hashem, and he's makbed on all the halachas, but he's just not the same. Especially now, with the whole corona situation, maybe I'm just seeing too much. And a lot of his even part-time learning is not the way it should be, and he's busy with things that are officially kosher, but... Definitely killing a lot of time. Nothing dangerous, but not productive. I feel so stupid complaining. He's such a wonderful husband. Maybe it all comes from my expectations of him. Or maybe I have pressure from my parents and general society. Because really, I think that he should be learning. I know everything is one big jumble, but the, from the past experience that I'm sharing with you, I think you'll be able to decipher this and get my head cleared up. Please let me know. Okay. Very good question. Right? I see. I'm, dis I'm disappointed. You know, I thought that... Uh, my husband should be learning more, and he's not, and I don't know, maybe I did something wrong, maybe I distracted him, maybe I don't know. Anyway, next question. Okay, hi, I'm really enjoying Yeshurim. In our Chesidisha circle, when is the legal time to go work? After two years in Koil? We all know what Koil means, but for the woman, it's their life. It seems that he's implying that, you know, what's the whole sitting in Koil? But, uh, you know, if a woman's so important, if I'm feeling fed up already from sitting there, can I leave, even though she will feel very bad? Now, this is not the same... Um, husband of the wife that asked the question, that I could tell, but uh, that, that's the question. Ingeman is asking, you know, how long am I expected to sit here? I don't like it here. Should I sit here for my wife because it's so important to her or not? Another third question. Hi, and thank you for your wonderful shurim. I have a couple of questions, and if you can help me out, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm married for such, someone, uh, such and such amount of years to a wonderful, loving husband with great midas. And we have a great marriage. There's one thing that's constantly bothering me. That's that we come from Erlich backgrounds. When we became Kala, I thought that my husband was very different than I see he really is. I expect him to be more serious, more Erlich, and slowly I, I saw that he wasn't that. 
He's not bad at all. He is Erlich. But I had a very different picture in my mind. And here are some small examples. And she goes on to mention examples about his learning and about the way he dresses and his use of technology and other things that she was very against and even maybe outspoken about. Um, and, and other examples that aren't, you know, that, that maybe aren't the way they should be. You know, I'm watching my husband do things that aren't appropriate. Uh, again, I, again, I'm being vague, but I mean to say nothing terrible, but uh, things that aren't the way they should be. Now, it hurts me very much, and sometimes I keep on thinking, like, maybe things could have been different. And I know that these thoughts really bring me down, and uh, I don't want to talk to my husband about it because I don't want to hurt him. So my question is, should I compromise on the Yiddishkeit part? What's my role in the marriage? Um, should I keep on encouraging my husband? Or maybe he's in the what my motives are. And what's the right outlook? Should I just ignore it? Is shown by is more important? What about chinuch? And things like that. Okay. So three questions. Let's just review them quickly, right? One woman saying that, I don't know what happened to my husband. He's not what he was a, a short while ago. Another Ingaman is asking, how long am I supposed to be here for my wife? To sit in Koilu. And a third one saying that I'm disappointed. Things aren't the way I wanted them to be. Now, interestingly, in this case, all three questioners uh, seem to be from women that are somewhat disappointed in their husband and seeing a certain either decline in Erlichkeit or seriousness or, or just a disappointment of, uh, you know, unfulfilled expectations or hopes. Very often I get the same questions from men. And I always start off with that because I don't want to think this is a man-woman issue. I get the same thing from men. I thought my wife is more Erlich, I thought she's more uh, principled, I thought she's going to stick to certain standards and guidelines, and I'm very disappointed. Either because I saw she's not what I thought she was, or because she changed, and things like that. So even though, and I mention this often, even though the Torah might dictate more, uh, let's call it rights, for lack of a better word, to a husband, when it comes to decision making and things like that, um, but I don't think that's the issue over here. I don't think it's, it's, it's relevant if it's a husband or a wife. I think it's, how do, we, how do we deal with the fact that someone's disappointed in the other person? We are married, we're very closely uh, related, and, and whatever one person does, does either directly or indirectly affect the other person, any decision someone makes, any choices someone makes. And how do we deal with that? How do we deal with individuality while we're in a close relationship? Like, how much should I care? How much should I want? How much should I control? How much should I surrender? How much should I make peace with it? How much should it not bother me? And things like that. Now, one very important point is understanding the idea of dealing with disappointments. Okay? Um, we deal with disappointments all the time. And people, a lot of times, have to learn how to deal with disappointments. I'm disappointed about something. It's very important to realize that when I'm disappointed in myself, and we all tend to be disappointed in ourselves at some point, and we should be, and someone who's never disappointed in themselves is probably uh, uh, not able to see things clearly. What happens is when you're disappointed in yourself, sometimes you don't even notice how disappointed you are. In other words, how much you failed yourself, how much you thought you'll do one thing and you're not. Or sometimes you're too quick to forgive or justify. Yeah, I know I should technically be doing more of this, but you know, it's hard. We forgive ourselves pretty quickly. So that's one disappointment. There's another disappointment that, hap that happens when somebody's disappointed about how things turned out, but it's nobody's control. I'm disappointed that it's raining. I made up to go somewhere today and it's raining. I'm very disappointed. But I get over it because who should I be upset at? You know, Hashem for changing the weather. So it is what it is. I make peace with the fact that not always you have nice weather. Not always it is what you expected. And uh, sometimes health conditions, somebody's not healthy, right? It's disappointing. I didn't think I'd marry someone with diabetes. And it's a year later, and now I'm married to a diabetic, and it's not uh, simple, and a lot of other issues. But at the end of the day, nobody's at fault. So we, we learn how to make peace with disappointments. What happens is when I'm disappointed in someone else's choices, that's when it's, much, it's a much bigger art. Mm. I'm very disappointed. That person failed me. That person could have done things differently. That person didn't do what I expected them to do. That person didn't do what we agreed on. And that's where it's very hard to get over it, because how do you do that to me? And the answer is that a few things. First of all, 
it's the same disappointment. You're disappointed in something. You have to learn how to accept something sometimes. And it's not gishmak. But sometimes it is what it is. Sometimes that person couldn't even do things differently because of their own challenges. Everyone has their own challenges. So sometimes that person could not do things differently. Sometimes even if they could have, they don't have to. They don't have to do things differently. There are a lot of side things that are disappointing to you. But we made up, but this, but that, but, I, but nobody does it. I know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But sometimes the healthy way is to realize this is a disappointment. I'm not happy about it. And, and, and it's bothering me. And at the same time, maybe, maybe this is what that person, my spouse or whoever it may be, um, had to do. Maybe, maybe I could have uh, married someone else. Maybe this, maybe that. But at the end of the day, maybe this is just how, what I have to deal with now. Maybe there's a certain amount of acceptance that I have to take. And, and it's not easy when I see that somebody could do something differently that will avoid me from having to come to that place of acceptance. I don't want to. I know, but sometimes that's what you have to do. So that's just a very important point uh, that you have to realize. And this is something we mentioned recently. I speak about this very often. There are different things that belong to different people. Even though we're in a relationship, even though we're married, and at the end of the day, I can't choose for you. I can't tell you what to choose. There are things that I'm going to have to realize that it's yours to decide. But it affects me. But I'm, but I'm affected by it. But I can't handle it. I know, but it's still yours to decide. We're not talking about a halucha shala dafka. We're not talking about something. We're not talking about that, something that directly affects people. In other words, it imposes upon people. We're talking about something that affects me because I have a feeling about it. But it's still yours to decide. So if I don't learn how to deal with a disappointment and a, you know something I'm not happy about, you know this is this is a problem. Now, one questioner mentioned a line that we hear people say often: "Are you not your husband's mashgiach?" Not your husband's mashgiach doesn't mean that you don't care what your husband does. Okay, sometimes people feel guilty. Well, I'm not as much gear, so why is it bothering me? It's a lot of bother you. It should bother you. And we spoke about this, I think it was last week. We see by the Imus, we see by, you know, we see the Gemurah teaches us, you're supposed to want to marry someone Erlich. And it doesn't just mean when you, before you marry, you should want to marry someone Erlich, and then you just give up. No, you, you want your spouse to be Erlich. You want your wife to be Erlich. You want her to be a Yishira Sashem and a Tzaniya. You want your husband to be a Tamil Chochmin Yerushmaim. That's good. And you should do the right things that might even help your spouse get there. But not being as much means that as much as you do want it, as much as you should want it, you're not going to do the wrong moves and you're not going to be someone's mashgiach and come across as being critical, judgmental, or controlling. And that, that's a fine balance to really care, really care, and daven in a healthy way without building resentment and without coming across negative. You should care. And by not caring, you could be making things worse because when people show, I don't care, it's fine, do whatever you want, that's not good. But knowing the fine line between making someone feel bad about their choices and no, that I won't do, but I'll, I'll let them, I'll accept their choices, but I still will care. And there where I could do something and I should do something, I will. That's, that's very important. Now, another line that I want to pick up on, and one of these questions, and I don't mean to nitpick when I pick up on these lines, I'm trying to help people understand the important points. And that is that when, when somebody wrote, I feel stupid complaining because he's so good. That's a very good line. Not that I feel you should, you should feel stupid complaining. That wasn't, that's not my point. My point is that when something's bothering you this much, you're very disappointed. You're very disappointed. There's not, there's not who you wanted to marry. There's not what you wanted your life to look like. There's not what you wanted to be dealing with. That sometimes blocks people from seeing the good. And when you don't see the good, you become resentful. And you become resentful, then there's hard feelings. And, and, then, and then there's so little room for improvement. When you see the good and you realize, you know, there's so much good in this person. There are things that bother me. And unfortunately, like with everything, you know, the, part, the part that bothers me is what's most noticeable. When my head hurts, I don't realize that my hand doesn't hurt. I know. But when you're dealing with another person and you're not going to notice the good and be appreciative about it, then it's definitely going to block you from, from helping things get better. It's, it's very important. Everybody has their challenges. Almost nobody. Can I say almost? Because I don't know. But I'm assuming that nobody, certainly, not, or certainly almost nobody, has everything they want in their spouse. I have yet to meet someone who, when you ask them, what would you change? What, you, you got a magic button, just change something in your spouse. Everybody has what they would change. 
So it's part of life to, to know that you have to accept another individual in your life, even though they're not exactly what you want. That, that's, what part, that's what the relationship is about. And when people can't do that, they have a very fundamental issue. It's not anymore uh, the emotional that they're dealing with. You know, there's the joke that one of these batchunim say uh, about the, you know, there's two kinds of wives. There's one that uh, is always available, always understanding, always kind, always helping the husband, always accommodating, always there for him. There's that kind of wife. And then there's the kind that we all have. You know, and it's a cute joke, but the point of it is that nobody has everything. So when you can talk about it in idealistic terms, that this is what a husband should do, this is what a couple should do, this is how they should understand each other, always be there, it's beautiful, but it has to make sense. It has to make sense. There's, there's only so much that really makes sense. So understanding that I might have to accept something that this person's deciding for themselves that I really don't like, and I can still want things to be different and, and be ready to hear advice how to make them, you know, happen maybe, it's all part of normal understanding and acceptance on how to deal with disappointment. So that's just a... A lot, of, a lot of food for thought as an introduction. So let me first address the man, the young man. He was the shortest question, right? How long do I have to sit in Koil? I'm not interested in sitting here. I'm sitting here for my wife. I know it's important to her. And I don't want to. Now, um, sitting and doing nothing is, is definitely not productive. And it's a shame. And I've seen people do it. And I'm sure a lot of people know people who do nothing. And doing nothing is not healthy. It's not, it doesn't help anyone and doesn't get you anywhere. And even if your wife might like the fact that you're officially sitting in Koil, uh, if you're not doing anything, then you're not, then you're not doing anything. Now, does that mean that you should run away? Or maybe you should sit and learn. Maybe you should do something. Um, the fact that you're taking into consideration the fact that it's important to your wife, I think is very commendable. It doesn't mean that you should feel controlled and stifled and you must sit and coil because it's important to her. But the fact that somebody says, I know it's important to her, that's, that's again, it's a very healthy line. I'm impressed by that statement. Now, I don't know if it's coming across the way I'm bringing it out, but the point is that I want to take into consideration the fact that to my spouse, this is important. Does it mean that what's important to me is not, doesn't count anymore? Does it mean that I don't have a choice to make? No. But if it's important to her, or it's important to him, then for that alone, I'm going to take into consideration. And if it's not very hard for me, maybe it's Kadai. In other words, if I'm sitting in Koila, I don't feel good about it, and I'm not really, I'm not gaining the material so much, I'm not achieving much, but I, I, I'm, I'm using some of my time, and if I put more effort to it, I know I could, and I'm a little lazy, and it really will mean a lot to someone else. And maybe even I could say that this is what she was expecting, or maybe this is what's expected. It's a reason to push yourself a little bit. Don't you want to make your spouse happy? In other words, if, if people just get into the mindset of, I don't have to, this belongs to me, and that, and I've taken it into consideration, there's something, there's something wrong with that. Not because you have to, but because you should want to. So if you understand that it means a lot to someone, that you do something a certain way, and it's not so hard for you, okay, let's call it, it's only 50% hard, it's not 80% hard, and obviously there's no way to really, to really uh, determine that, but if you feel that you could do something with someone that's important to them, and they're not telling you you have to. So it's not a control issue that you're trying to avoid uh, enabling someone from making your decisions for you, it's something to think about. So anyone who feels that to my spouse this is very important, and I know I could do it, so why be obnoxious if she's asking nicely or if she's not even asking? But I can make her feel good and I can make the relationship better by, show, by making her feel good and by making both of us feel good and, and showing that we, ta- we take each other seriously. I think, I think that's something to take into consideration. So that's, that's uh, something that, that it's always good to try to appeal to someone and please someone who you care about. So that's, that's definitely something to... Uh... And then of course... Like, let's just go back to the main idea now. Talking about these women over here, right? They see a husband doing something they don't like. It's important to differentiate when, between when someone is doing something that directly affects you and imposes upon you, and then it's okay to voice your opinion, and when it doesn't. But let's first mention when it doesn't. Even when it doesn't. And this is what we're talking about over here, right? What your husband does. You know, he changed his jacket. He's, he used to wear uh, one reckless. He used to dress a certain way. Now he's dressing something else. You don't like it. The, the, I mean, it, it might reflect on you, and it might affect the way you feel. But it's not affecting you directly. So you just have to realize, that's it, I might have to accept the fact that he made a certain decision. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you can't voice your opinion. So for those people who never did it, okay, and I'm mentioning this because just recently I had this with, with somebody, Mamish this, uh, you know, Mamish this situation, where someone didn't even voice an opinion, and their spouse, their husband, this young man was telling me, I don't even know what my wife wants. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm not getting any feedback, I have no clue what she wants. And this was, this was answered when I asked him, like, what does your wife think about it? I don't know. So if you don't express yourself, and you're not assertive, in a healthy, clear, kind-hearted, uh, soft way, I'd appreciate this. This means a lot to me. If it's not hard for you, only if you can die. If you don't know how to say that, then, then you didn't marry a mind reader. And, and then you can't say, well, I, I tried it, because you didn't. If you do try it, you do try communicating nicely, and you try having someone understand you, and you see that it's not working, that's when you have to realize, one second, it's not working, and he feels strongly about this decision for whatever reason, and at the end of the day, it's his decision. Here's where you might have to say, that's it. I'm not going to push on this. I'm not going to try to control him or make him feel resentful. And I'm not going to try to give him the, the message that I'm unhappy with him because it might work against me. When my spouse realizes, I'm unhappy with you. You're, you're disappointing me. That's not a good feeling. So you're allowed to mention something and you shouldn't assume somebody knows it without you mentioning it. But you have to see where, one second, I tried inching forward. It didn't work. That's it. That's where you have a stop sign and you inch forward to see if there's oncoming traffic, but, but you go very, very slowly because you don't want to cause damage by being very imposing and very critical and very uh, unhappy with what somebody's doing. So this is um, just some food for thought. And of course, where it doesn't impose upon you directly and it's affecting you and, and what you do and, and your job and your children, and the different, that, that's a different story. That's, different story. that's again, where you have to communicate very nicely, but that's where you could say, listen, this is the part where it affects me. And I'll tell you which part I'm not happy with, or what I'm not okay with, or where I don't know if I'm going to feed into this anymore. But that you might need some guidance what to do the right way. Now let's go to the big issue over here, and that is the, the mushal that we're giving. Wives that are disappointed in what happened to their husband. Um, you know, I'll start with this little, um, it's not a veritable it's a story, they say, you know, about a, a, a guy, an uh, old-timer in the Heim, and he sent his son to the university. And those days, university was very... Uh, unaccepted thing for Hamishi to do, but he sent his son to college. Sure enough, his son went to Berlin, or wherever it was that he was studying, and he came back a year later, and it wasn't the same. It's Rigi came on the board and pious, he didn't look like a year anymore, and he was still Jewish, but you know, and this guy was all shocked, he went running to the roof, what happened to my son, what should I do now? I, I can't believe this happened. And the roof tells him, listen, if you would have told me you sent your son to Yeshiva, and he came back without the burden pious, then I'll tell you, you know, I can't understand it either. We have to figure out what happened. <laughs> you sent your son to university for a year, and this is how he came back. I mean, what were you expecting? Now, a lot of times we, we expect certain things, and we get shocked by certain things, without realizing that, you know, maybe that's just how it goes. Now, I, I don't mean to be pessimistic and make believe it's, it's never good, but I want to bring out a point over here. If you would tell me that you married a guy, assuming that he's a chilled out guy, always looking to have fun, and this is what he was into when you became Chus Kala. And you know what happened? One day he just became like this Balchiva, and very spiritual and very idealistic. You know what happened to him? I'll tell you, it's interesting. I'll be honest with you, it's very interesting. Now, it does happen sometimes, but it's interesting when it happens. What happened? Mate? We have to figure this out. Who did he talk to? What got into him? What does he mean by it? Is it coming from a, from a Gazinta place? It's coming from a not such a Gazinta thing? Like, did he get scared? Did he get shocked? Is it, it going to pass? But if you're telling me that somebody was more Erlich, let's call it, or more serious when they were a Bukhar or when they just got married, and slowly, you know. He drifted a little. You know, I don't know why he's so shocked. Again, I'm not saying that this happens to everyone or should happen to everyone or to be expected to happen to everyone, but it happens. There's a, there's a word, I heard this from al Taqsid, I don't know where it comes from, that, you know, a bukhra chenyok vet avarim ingemam. I'll explain it in, in, in English in a minute. A bukhra chenyok vet avarim ingemam. Avarim a bukhra vet avabatish ingemam. Avabatish a bukhra vet akalti ingemam. In other words, 
the more spiritual someone is when he's a bocher, before he's married, he could always expect some decline later, and that's what happens often. Very chesidish, very varam when he was a bocher, okay, when he gets married, he might uh, settle, and certain things might not be the same. To expect someone to be the same that he was when he was a bocher, and he was very motivated, very aggressive, very erlich, and very into his Yiddishkeit, and whatever else, nothing else meant anything to him. Now he got married, and slowly, you know, it's part of sometimes what happens, right? People, people fall. People tend to fall. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to fall. I'm not saying that, that it's justified to fall. I'm just saying that if you notice that your husband's not as erlich as he was, and he's not as into the Gemurah, maybe it's somewhat normal. Maybe it's not the, the, you know, the unexpected disappointment, let's call it. It's beautiful when that happens. Now, but, but there are other people sitting there, I, I know there are. And like I said, it's beautiful. If you could encourage your husband to sit and learn, and you could, you could see to it, and, and if you have a husband that is sitting and learning, and you're all there for him, and, and encouraging him to keep it up, that's wonderful. Don't say, well, it's going to happen anyway, so let me just... But sometimes it's normal that, that you know, people don't just aren't the same. I mean, there's the idea that the uh, Gemurah says about Elif Nechnus in the Talmud. Right? A thousand people go there, and only one comes out the dying. Why? Didn't a thousand people come in and we were machazic everyone that they could do it? Yeah, but sometimes not everyone stays by learning. So some people stay for ten years, some people five years, some people two years, and some people a half a year. Now, couple that with the fact that Corona was a was a was a. In other words, it, there might always be a different trigger. What what made someone go a certain way? But Corona, unfortunately, was definitely a big, um, you know, a, a big uh, disruption in people's uh, schedules and people's commitments and people's elchait. Uh, not, not a question. No, the beginning of Corona, I remember people were talking that, you know, with the little kids, they're learning Ivra, and they're not going to be able to read. You know, you're going to be, 20 years from now, you're going to take an Aydem, a Chusn, and you see he's not going to have a good Ivra, and say, oh, it's nothing, he was from the Corona, Kita Aleph, you know, they didn't learn how to read. And I, I said then that I don't think the Kita Aleph kids are going to be the ones to suffer. You know, whatever they didn't get in Kita Aleph, they're learning Kita Bayes, the, the Moises, the Chadurim are going to know that we have to make sure these kids know how to read. So we're going to spend more time on it, more than usual. But those Bukhram that were sitting in Yeshiva, and that a daily regimen of learning and waking up early and sitting by a shir and a chavrisa from morning to night, and all of a sudden Corona came and they had a, a benazmanim of six months. I mean, what's what supposed to happen to this boy? Now, Bukh Hashem, a lot of boys were not affected, a lot of boys got back into it. Bukh Hashem, But think about it giving a Bukh six months benazmanim, and he had a phone, and he had a lot of time that he didn't know what to do, and he didn't have a normal schedule, and he didn't have to be listening to a shir, and he didn't have to have a chavrisa, and he could wake up late, and he could come early, and he could sit outside with his friends, and, he could, and he was all into the news and everything that was going on. It affected people very much. And not always could you, could you turn that back. Not always could you turn that back. So what I mean to say is that you have a young man who, let's say, was learning well, and in this case, it was the corona, let's call it. In other cases, it's something else. But, you know, in some cases, it's that he wants to make some more money. In some cases, he wants to be like his brother. In some cases, he feels like an idiot. In some cases, he just lost his motivation, lost his drive. What, what, what can you do? You know, it's disappointing. But sometimes, sometimes it's what happens. Now, I don't think this woman is to blame. I don't think taking a trip or going somewhere, even if that may have seemed like the turning point, maybe she's to blame. I don't think she's to blame. I really don't think she's to blame. From what it sounds like, did something normal, went to a normal place, had some fun. But it's something to think about. And again, I'm not saying in a critical way to this question at all. I'm saying because I think it's something we could all learn from. Sometimes you do something, and I've seen this the other way around, also many times. See a husband who um, has a wife, very erlich, very frum, very tzniyazdik, everything, and he, he doesn't want it to be like all the way, okay? So he tells her, you know what, let's do it a little less, okay? And she's like, you sure? I don't know, this is what they taught me, my father, my this, my... no, 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 it's okay, I, I asked, it's fine. You know, let's lower your standards just 5%. Now he wants it to stay at 5% less, because 5% less is to him, that's 100. Anything more than that is like extra credit. But it doesn't always stop where you wanted it to stop. And then what happens, I don't know what happened to my wife, I tried, and I want to turn back, and I like the better for it. It doesn't always go like that. You have to realize that. 
sending with children. Sometimes you want, I know people that they come to me, my, my bukhari is too frim, he's too this, he's too that. I want to get him to like ease off a little bit. And not everyone's doing things exactly the way you want. It's another person at the end of the day. So you could either let them do it, even if it's a drop more than you want, or you could try to pull them down and you don't know where it's going to go. And I've seen people make that mistake. You, you bust someone's bubble, bubble and you take out that, that inspiration and that, uh, you know, that, that drive that they had and then they're not anymore what you wanted them to be. It, it doesn't go exactly like you. You can decide for someone exactly what they should be doing. So I'm just saying, I, I don't think that this woman did anything wrong. I'm just mentioning that you might distract your husband or tell you, I'm just giving you an example. I saw this also once. He had a, a young man, he had a, he had a flip phone, he didn't want to text, he didn't want to, he didn't want to WhatsApp, he didn't want anything. And the wife couldn't handle it, he's not available. She kept on pushing that he get some sophisticated thing that she could communicate with him on. Um, and finally, she she won. She got him to do something. She, she controlled him and his decision. And uh, of course, with the, with the manipulation that it affects me directly and I can't handle it and I have to wait a full hour to get through you. Okay, there it goes. And he got it. And then she couldn't handle that. He's busy texting all day. Now, it, it doesn't work like that. You can't have someone get the text or the WhatsApp or whatever it is and then only use it the way you want. It doesn't work like that. So before you make someone change something they do, think about it. Are you ready to see the ripple effect of how this will affect someone? It's just some food for thought. Again, in this example, I don't think there's anything out of bounds. I'm just saying it so we can learn from it. So again, as idealistic as we should be, and of course we want that our spouse should be the one that's the top, and the Echid Yitzel we have to understand that, that different people have their own thing. And at some point, it, you know, it's important to teach women as elegant as, as they were and as elegant as, as much as they wanted a husband who's going to be full-time sitting and learning immersed in Torah and Yerushimayim that if you have a husband who got a job or he's not doing things exactly the way you want but he's still sitting and learning a few hours a day and he's still a this and he's still a good person he, he, he deserves a lot of respect a lot of respect even though he's not sitting in Koilo even though he's not doing things exactly the way your father did it he has a lot of respect there's a lot of challenges out there you know, if somebody's doing things with a certain commitment and a certain stability, a certain uh, principles that he, that he keeps, he deserves a lot of respect. A lot of respect. It's not simple. And I'll say some more, and that is that the more you respect and appreciate the parts that are going well, and like we started off with earlier, I shouldn't be complaining because it's so much good, the more you notice the good and you promote the good in a healthy way. In a healthy way, I mean to say, not like the one who said, oh, you learned today, beautiful, I'm so happy. And he realizes the only way he can get a compliment is by doing exactly what she wants when. No. But the more you promote and respect and appreciate when somebody does something good, the more that person will be inclined to want to do more of it. Both because they feel good about it and because they want to earn your appreciation and because uh, they might just realize that this is the right thing to do. So you definitely want to use gittens. So like I said before, if you never tried mentioning what you'd rather or how it bothers you, you could try it in a nice way where somebody doesn't feel challenged. Maybe that's all they needed to hear, that you know, you're not really happy with this change. Maybe you shouldn't just sit there and make believe it's okay. But if you did try that, and very often people do try that, and you know, that's not what's going to answer your question, start with the positive. Notice the good, be respectful, be appreciative, and, and, and realize to yourself as well, I might have to accept that he's not doing everything I want, and I might have to really appreciate the parts that really are commendable. It's not easy for somebody who has a job or somebody who has whatever, whatever else on his agenda to really be committed and be erlich and daven and learn whatever it is that he's doing. So that's also something to think about. Don't be afraid of having your encouragement or respect be, be looked at like a motive which is what one person mentioned. I don't want to, to see that I have a motive. And it starts with your own mistake. What, what about it as a motive? Giving your husband a compliment or telling him that you're proud of him and that you notice the good he's doing and the same thing I'm saying again, the same thing as husbands for wives. Giving your wife a good word and appreciating what she does, that, that shouldn't be seen to you as a motive. It's not a motive. She, she deserves it. She's doing something good or he's doing something nice or something. He deserves appreciation. Now, if you have in the back of your mind a motive because really you could 
um, you could bashta, you, you'd wish something would be even better, that's fine. But if you're worried that he's nechap your motive, it's because you have one, there's not a motive. This is what you should be doing. You should be showing your spouse how much you do respect and appreciate what they do. Now, I know that a lot of this is not easy, especially when you're disappointed. But like I said, disappointment is one thing, and, 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 and promoting the good and appreciating something and being respectful is, is definitely something that's uh, very important. I will end off with one more thing, and that is for these three questioners. Okay? I'm saying it to the Ningaman himself who wants to know what to do, and the women who want to know what to do. One thing that you all want to do, and you all want to promote for your spouse as well, and I think in all three cases it's very relevant, is to have someone to guide you. Now, it's not the Das Torah card. I don't like when people say, okay, we're going to ask Das Torah, who should we call? Let's call this one. Let's both um, agree to listen to what he says. No, you should have in general. If you don't have somebody to guide you, and you don't have somebody who you and your spouse understand, this is our roof, this is our person, this is who we trust, this is who will listen to us and tell us what the right thing to do is. If you don't have that, then you're bound to have a lot of, a lot of problems. Because there's always going to be disagreements. Like I said, you know, even the best situations, we're two different people. So if this single man doesn't have someone who he trusts and, and to ask the question, and she should respect that person's um, advice, an opinion, because, you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's a person who means our good, and he's Erlich, and he's guiding us the right way, and same thing is the other way. If you could encourage your husband to have a daftar, not because you're trying to win him over and say, you know, I don't like what you're doing lately, I think we should ask someone, it's not in a controlling way. There's a mistake people make, they use daftar as a, as a weapon. Okay, that's it, I'm going to ask daftar. No, I think it's important for us to have someone to ask, whenever we're not sure if we're making the right decision, whether it's me for myself, or you for yourself, or us for ourselves, we'll trust that that person will hear us out and guide us. Somebody who's, call it open-minded, somebody who's Erlach, somebody who's understanding, not just somebody from, you know, far away, but somebody who we know, somebody who knows us, I think that's very healthy. So, it seems to me that in these three situations, these couples, and everyone else out there for that matter, would definitely benefit a lot from understanding and agreeing to having somebody who can guide us, somebody who can listen to us, somebody who's an objective opinion, and an Erlach opinion, who could help us understand each other better, and know what to accept, and what to change, and, and, and what to improve, Without anyone being right and wrong. This, we're not going to someone to have a dentoira and see who's right and wrong. That's, that's always a big uh, you know, problem when somebody comes out wrong because that's toira said, they'll come resentfully. No, I think it's important for us to know the right thing and to understand that somebody can help us with this. So when I ask yourself, huh, well, we learn how to deal with disappointments. We know how to deal with somebody else's individuality. We know how to promote erlachet, know how to appreciate good. We know how to understand each other. And we know how to sometimes just know how to, you know, comply to a das or, th- or objective third party, even if it's not what we wanted. And I this could definitely help us understand each other, make the right decisions, have a very happy life together, and live by Hava Shalom